The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This week's edition of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast, is brought to you by the recently updated HTM Podcast Network online, hittingmarks.com. We're also brought to you by Hameen Media Group. Two feeds, maybe, for your listening pleasure, hackerhameen.podbean.com maybe, and hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. We're also available over at the PW Hustle, pwhustlenetworks.podbean.com, and syndicated by our friends over at ndpw.com, as well as the Rational Rage Network. You can find Destino wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, be it Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Apple, Google, or iHeartRadio. Before we get into today's show, I've got a PSA that I want to read for you here. This comes to us from our friend John Enright. Longtime guest host here on Destino. Did you know that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month? Sexual assaults happen every day, yet recent reports say over 94% of rapists get to roam free. Eight out of 10 sexual assaults are committed by someone who knows the victim. Based on data from surveys, it's estimated that 734,630 people were raped, threatened, attempted, or completed in the United States in 2018. Yet, despite the increase in self-reports of rape and sexual assault, there was a decrease to reporting to police from 2017 to 2018. 40% of rapes and sexual assaults were reported to police in 2017, but only about 25% were reported in 2018. Maybe you tried to reach out before and you were failed by the system. Maybe you're unsure what sexual assault even is. Whatever the case, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is there for you it's 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. Together, we can end sexual violence. For Americans living abroad, get help in an emergency by locating the nearest embassy or consulate. You can also call the State Department's emergency numbers. For the U.S. and Canada, that's 1-888-407-4747. From overseas, 1-202-501-4444. If you are a member of the DOD community, you can access the DOD Safe Helpline for live one-on-one support. The system is confidential, anonymous, secure, available worldwide, and available 24-7. On today's show, I am joined by a very, very special episode of Destino. We went about two hours, me and the vet, from over at the Next Level Wrestling Podcast at Hameen Media Group at hameenmediagroup.podbean.com, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Hell, you can even catch us on Patreon. I assure you, all of the shows are being uploaded there as Hameen Media is kind of fighting with Podbean right now. He's going to be moving over to the Impact Attack, the way things sound. Big Ray and Ben Hameen going to be taking over Next Level. And Colin and the Vet moving over to Impact, so at least he'll get to enjoy Kenny Omega once again as he becomes the Impact World Champion this weekend, at least that's what we presume. He also sat down and watched the Stardom Cinderella show from the Yokohama Budokan, so we cover that. That's about the first hour of the show, and then we get into Sakura Genesis. So much to cover, but first, our friends from Down Under. This is Knife Party. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. You're going to die. All right, so back from the break, we're here with the vet. 
from the Next Level Wrestling Podcast over at Hameen Media Group. Take two of Destino today. We, we had a couple of audio issues, and it's too bad because I felt like we were having a really good conversation. I was asking you, Vet, just how much Joshi wrestling have you watched? Kind of what's your background with Joshi? Because we're going to talk some stardom before we get into New Japan. Yeah, so just a little bit of Joshi wrestling, not um, not a lot. I've seen my my random uh, Minami Toyota matches and Cutie Suzuki matches over the years on YouTube and and things of that nature, but I've never watched a full card top to bottom, um, and and seen this the full Japanese presentation. So that's what gave me. A, I didn't know if I was going to have time to watch this Stardom show, but even if I wasn't able to watch it, I would have liked to just sit in and and just hear you talk about what you thought about it. And then I could ask you other questions. Uh, but I actually did get to watch the whole thing. So um, that'll make this even more of an enriching experience for everyone. Yeah, this should be fun because I, I saw most of the show. Um, we, we had one of those matches on this show that much like we just recorded the next level wrestling podcast. And of course the, the main event of takeover Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly went for like 40 minutes and I just, I don't have 40 minutes to sit down and watch one match, whether it's Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly, or, you know, whether it's Stars versus Oedo tie in like a 10-woman tag team elimination match. <laughs> that was just too much. So I, I, I did fast forward and kind of went to the finish on that match, but... There, there's a lot going on inside of stardom. There's a lot going on inside of New Japan that I, I find very, very questionable at this point. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was because you sent me a text message the other day and let me know if I if you I need to talk you off the ledge. And I was like, oh, I, I'm not off the ledge yet. I mean, you know, I, I I can still see what they're doing. I can understand what they're doing. It's it's when I can't see what they're doing anymore. That's the ledge. And then I watched Sakura Genesis and I watched Stardom from the Yokohama Bubatacon. And I, I'm kind of at the ledge, man. I'm kind of at the ledge at this point. Well, don't, don't worry. I'm here. Don't jump. Do not jump. We can get through this. Um, that's that's what a good support system is is all about. So, Absolutely. So we'll we'll get to that new Japan. That's like the main event. This will be like uh, the preliminary stuff. Let's let's talk talk about some stardom. Um, you've got to provide the context for all of this because it is fun to just come right into something with having no um you know no no knowledge of the characters and the stories i've seen some of these women uh you know but right just just i i don't know what they've been up to so that's where that's where you come in and you kind of put the pieces together for me and i can ask questions that um will you know hopefully provide me you'll be able to provide me with the answers i need but i'm i'm not you know i'm not a you know i'm no stranger to you know, Japanese uh, wrestlers, shows, customs. So I, I get it. I can, it's no, it's no big deal for me to just, just throw this show on out of nowhere. And, and I just need a few little gaps filled in. Yep. Absolutely. I, I guess number one, kind of an overall question about the show. What did you think of, of seeing these women inside of this kind of arena? Like, did this feel like you were just watching another Japanese pro wrestling show? Uh, does it just kind of fit into the context or, or does it feel like something completely out of the ordinary watching an all Joshi show in a venue like the Yokohama Budokan? 
No, to me, if you if you can watch an all men show, you can watch an all women show. This is the same way you would be watching uh, the NBA or the WNBA. I mean, if you want to watch women play basketball, they're not going to be any men in there. So it doesn't, you know, that is that is what that is. It felt it felt like it felt like sports. It felt like a big deal. Um, so in that sense, you know, there was nothing out of the ordinary for me as far as I was concerned. Good. I mean, because I truly, if if we're searching for equality inside of this world, a stardom show should not feel any different than a New Japan show, which is why I asked kind of just to get that baseline kind of comparison, because there are a lot of times where Bushi Road seems like they kind of stimp on the stardom production a little bit. They don't run nearly as big of venues, but this was a very big show for stardom. So I, I'm very happy that it gave off that impression. We'll go ahead. We'll, we'll start things off with the first match. AZM, Azumi taking on Hina as well as Lady C. Um, Hina wins this match, which I, I thought was kind of surprising. I very much thought that Azumi would end up winning this match. Azumi definitely the the bigger deal out of all three of these women. Um, AZM even got you know the t shirt cannon when she was coming out. The thing that was interesting inside of this match for me, though, is you have two women representing Queen's Quest with both Hina and Azumi, and then you also have Lady C, who is currently unaffiliated. So it's very much putting two of the younger women, it's like a New Japan show, we're putting two young lions out there along with somebody who is more of a seasoned veteran with Azumi, and except this time it was one of the young lions that actually kind of comes up and gets the win here Hina not necessarily a young lion at this point she's with Queen's Quest but very early into her journey I thought the match was okay but it's as okay as you're going to get with two people that are still very much early on in their training for stardom okay so first thing you're going to need to do is tell me what I assume that by your uh, by the context that Queen's Quest is a faction. So yes. so you're going to have to run down the factions in this uh, right at the top. So I know, um, you know, what we're dealing with here, because I don't know any of them. OK, so inside of the world of stardom currently, we have the Queen's Quest, which is going back for many years. They have been the start the the standard inside of stardom okay. uh you also have the cosmic angels which okay. is uh currently the newest faction inside of stardom tokyo cyber squad was broken up after the passing of hannah kimura and they have brought in the cosmic angels kind of as that replacement faction uh you also currently have stars which is basically the baby faces inside of stardom mayu iwatani and and her friends you have oedo tai who are basically the big bad bitches who don't really give a damn about anything going on inside of stardom. And then you have Donna Del Mundo, uh, which we would see an all DDM main event inside of this match for the tag team championships. And DDM is the women of the world. They, they have come into stardom over the course of about the last two years and completely taken over, but they're kind of tweeners. Sometimes they're really, really good. Sometimes they're just absolute complete bitches. Kind of depends on who they're in the ring with. They just want to be the best. So they're LIJ. Basically. Yep. At okay. this point, <laughs> even down to the Spanish. Yep. Yep. Very okay. much so. So okay. th hopefully that gives a little bit of context inside of the That's world fine. of stardom. I just need to know the teams in the sport that we're playing. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, so like you said, Hina went over here. Uh, despite being the most plain, the most out of shape, the least attractive, and possibly the least athletic, which is not 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 all of those are necessarily knocks on Hina, but just that's more of a compliment to the others. They like they look like Lady C looks like somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, Azumi looks like somebody. She, you know, t-shirt cannon aside, she was <laughs> clearly like the featured person here. So like even without knowing anything what you said matched up exactly with my feelings like huh her okay moving on i guess i got a lot to learn that's that's kind of how i approached this first match now and and you know to your point about the the experience levels and stuff that's like yeah not the best here like they 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 work like it um but that that's fine you know good spot Lady C is the youngest inside of her training, although I believe of the three, Hina is the youngest. Hina Mm -hmm. has a twin sister, Rina, um, and they both started training when they were 12. Uh, Hina is still currently in high school, so we actually haven't seen her in the ring for quite a while. This was kind of her return match, so it made a bit of sense to me why she looks so out of shape. She had quite a bit of ring rust on her. I like Hina, but I definitely think Rena is going to be the bigger star between the two. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I guess, yeah, not, not a lot else to say about this, this, this particular match just, but, but as a, as a, like for somebody like me, that's coming in raw, um, a three-way match is not necessarily the, the best way to start off a show. We like to just keep it simple with a singles match or something to establish. And so you could have switched maybe the second match with this match, I guess. But that's not how uh, Japan books. They book from what they consider to be the least prestigious to the most prestigious matches. Yep. Um, even though this one ended in a tag title match. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but that's generally how they do it. Uh, so... Like you said, it all, it all, it's all lining up. It's all becoming clear now what you're saying. Let's move on to your second match, singles match. Momo Watanabe, the leader of Queen's Quest, taking on Mina Shirakawa from the Cosmic Angels. Uh, Momo on a very, very interesting kind of trajectory at this point. Uh, Mina Shirakawa, kind of the second inside of Cosmic Angels. Um, and she's just returning from an injury. She's one of their trios champions. She very much functions inside of the unit. So this is a big opportunity for Mina Shirakawa to show what she can show as a singles competitor up against one of the feature people inside of the company in Momo. And Momo going through a little bit of an attitude change here. She's been kind of happy. She's been kind of smiley. And now she's getting back to being a bitch, getting back to being what she should have been always as the leader of Queen's Quest after taking over for Io Shirai. Um... Momo's pretty beat up though. There's something going on with her right shoulder. She's had that taped up for quite a while now. And it seemed like Momo might've twisted her right knee inside of this match. Something seemed very, very off at the end of this match to me. Um, Momo sucks. 
that's kind of been uh, Momo's gimmick over the course of the last year. Uh, and, and we would get to that. Bea Priestley has been saying that for the better part of a year now. You suck, you suck, and you suck, but Momo sucks the most. And that's very much been Momo. But now Momo is getting back to a bit more aggressive style. Uh, she's turning things up a little bit. Hopefully the injuries aren't going to sideline her. But I enjoyed her just beating the crap out of Mina Shirakawa to kind of reestablish, hey, I'm the queen bitch around here. I only have one note on this match, uh, which was Momo laser shit in. Yep. That's, you kind of covered it. Um, I always find it interesting about uh, Japan because they are so protective of the kayfabe mm -hmm. like they should be. And you never really know when you're getting worked. So whenever I see somebody taped up or whatever, I'm just like, are, are you really hurt there? Are you hurt somewhere else and you're just taping there? Like, you don't, you never know. And that's part of what makes it fun because the mystique is still there. They're not rubbing in your face that this is phony, you know? So, like, when things happen, um, it's like you really have to question. It's like, are, are they working or not? Um, so I find that intriguing, but yeah, so she to yeah, to me, without having known any of the backstory or anything like that, um, yeah, she seems like she had, <laughs> either she had something to take out on her opponent or she's got her own little story to tell. So it sounds like it's more the latter. Yeah. And Mina Shirakawa just she's not ready for any kind of a singles push inside of stardom right now. Like a, she basically functions as a second inside of the cosmic angels to Tam Nakano. So it makes complete sense. She's not damaged in taking a singles loss to Momo in any way, shape or form. So I can get behind it there. Uh, let, let's go on to your third matchup of the night. And this is a little bit, this one requires a bit of explanation as well. Unagi Sayaka is one of the yeah, newest that's members. My, that's my note. Tell me about Unagi. <laughs> Unagi, my note. Unagi is one of the newest members of the Stardom roster, and she has been in a seven-match trial, um, going up against some of the biggest names inside of Stardom, not really winning those matches, but she's trying to make a name. She's trying to impress the office. She's trying to get a full-time job, even though she's currently one of the trio's champions inside of Stardom. After seven matches, we could not come to a conclusion on Unagi Sayaka. So we're having an extra match inside of the seven-match trial up against Sayakamatani from Queen's Quest, who they are pushing to the freaking moon. They absolutely love this girl. She's the future of stardom. They even put it up on her Tron. And I just... I feel like she's got a very long way to go. It's a good thing that she's wearing green. Um, what What did you think of Unagi? Did, did she just capture your attention off the? Like, is yep. it just the look? Yep, she looks like somebody. The uh, see the thing about it. If I, if I could have one um, one sort of like it's not a it's not even a criticism. It's just an observation, and you can take it how you want it. But like. A lot of these women look similar. And that's yes. not the racist white guy saying that all Asians look alike. That's like the gear. You know what I mean? Like they all look like they could be in a damn tag team or one faction together. Like they've all got like, you know, the armbands and like the 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 boot tassels and knee pad thingies, and, yep. you know, and little skirts and stuff like they all do that. And I guess in a way you can make the argument that a bunch of guys in plain trunks all kind of look the same, too. 
Um, and that's a criticism that's been leveled at a lot of modern wrestlers, you know, and overseas and stuff. But, but just in general, like a lot of these, a lot of these uh, costumes look pretty samey, you know. And so, um, whenever anybody's got a certain hairstyle or a certain little makeup or or just like a little twist on the gear, uh, it, it stands out. So. Um, I don't know nothing about uh, Unagi's history other than that Unagi is eel, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is that, right. That is what that means. Um, so that's funny. But uh, other than that, yeah, she looks like she looks like she's uh, she's a somebody. Yep. And that's very much the way I feel about all of the cosmic angels. Mina Shirakawa being one, we would see Tam Nakano a little bit later on in the show. And I completely agree with you with what you're saying about the look, especially at the beginning of this show when they front loaded so many of the same faction members all together. I just mm-hmm. inside of these first three matches, you have Azumi in there, you have Hina in there, you have Momo in there, and now you have Saya Kamatani in there. They're all from Queen's quest all of their gear looks very similar they all come out with the crazy mask and whatnot just basically a different color scheme on the same gear and then with the cosmic angels you have both unagi and mina shirakawa who are wearing the more bright colorful like 80s neon kind of colors and and they're more sexy they're delicious i mean that's literally their tagline they're delicious i like it so um, I, it, it it all works. The problem is when you front load it with all of the same factions, everybody looks the same. So I, I completely get what you're saying. Well, it, it, I just need that clarification because if you're in the same faction, you should. Right. Um, but it's like they even if they even if they were the type of promotion that would sit there and it, like it over explain to you like the WWE these things. One, I don't understand all that Japanese. Um, and two, um, they're not. They they didn't take the time to break down who's in the faction. They had it written, and there's a lot of uh th- there's like a lot of kanji on the screen. And I can't read kanji. I can read it if you spell it out in hiragana or katakana, but I can't read the those symbols. So right. um I'm I'm just hoping to pick this up, but I don't have the, I don't know if they're in the same faction or not. I just know that they kind of dress similar. So if they're in the same faction, then that's perfectly fine. Even if you, even if you front load it all, uh, I just needed to know that. The one thing that I did really, really like about this match with this being an extra match inside of the seven trial series, Unagi's out there. She's competing for a job. So she doesn't even wait for proper ring introductions. She doesn't wait for the bell to ring. She's all over Saya like immediately. That I thought that was the best part of the match. It was like the first 10 seconds. Well, in a polite culture like Japan, I don't know if that's going to help her get a job. But no, that's uh, true. In any in any case, uh uh yeah, so that's that's a cool storyline though. But where where's like where's she at in the seven matches? Did she had them all? Yeah, she or had had all it's... seven of the matches. This is actually the eighth match in a seven eighth, match series. Eighth bonus match. That is kind of preposterous that they wouldn't have come to a decision on that. <laughs> no, right? right? But but it, the the idea was kind of fun. Yeah. How many did she win? Um, zero. I think that that might be the reason that they did the eighth match because she might've been three, three and one. If I remember right, right, there may have been one where there was not. 
Yep. So they had to end up having the eighth match, if I remember correctly. But I started them very much like New Japan. They're running so many shows here lately that it's almost impossible to keep up. Yeah. Well, got to get those reps in. Yep. That's what we were talking about with women wrestling on the, uh, you can go and check out the next level wrestling review, which could be the final one with me and Colin. But um, on there, we're going to, you're going to hear us talking about that. Like the women's uh, division, they're putting singles to get uh, singles wrestlers together and they're not getting reps. Yep. Meanwhile, Japan is very tag focused because it's, because it's a, a sport and sports have teams and you put the teams and they have matches, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a blood feud for every single match that you have. Sometimes team just plays and it's not that exciting to certain people and to others, it's their favorite match. So I, that's another thing I appreciate about it. So um, yeah, get, but you got to get the reps. And even if we as fans can't watch all of them, it's very beneficial to them they just have to they just have to know when to turn it up and turn it down so that they don't get hurt. Now when you want to talk about feuds and you want to talk about teams that don't like each other, your next match is a 10-woman elimination tag and if this was baseball, this would be the rules of this match. Whoever the last person is that is out has to join the other team. That's that's basically uh, what happened here. Okay. Um, and, and this is something that's rather common inside of stardom. So they go through all of the eliminations and at the fight final, it ends up with Gokigen death being pinned. So she now has to join 08 Otai. Now here's a little bit of story about death. Uh, she is basically the Toru Yano of stardom. Uh, she's literally dressed like a clown at this <laughs> point. I mean, Right. I have I have literal clown in my notes. <laughs> like, so so yeah, I get it. So originally she was a member of the Tokyo Cyber Squad, right? And she and she was basically dressed as Gene Simmons. And she would come out and her whole thing is all she would say is death and make the devil horns, right? So then when Tokyo Cyber Squad broke up, she ended up joining stars, the baby faces of the company. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. Everybody's wholesome. And they did magic on her and they removed all of the evil from death. And so death became a clown and she became literally translated into happy death. So even though she would go around and still do death, 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 yama, death, she was happy about it. Well, Well, that makes perfect sense. it, It makes complete sense. Uh, well, now that she is going to be forced to join Oedo Tai, uh, this is not going to end well for death because Oedo Tai does not give a fuck. Not one single solitary fuck. They even refuse to do interviews backstage. Like for a typical stardom show, they'll have interviews with all of the participants before the match, except anybody from Oedo Tai. They are, they are the absolute worst human beings inside of stardom. And so now we're going to have death join Oedo I can't wait to see because now she will be Fukigen death, which I mean, I believe means fucking death in Japanese. So that, that this should be rather interesting. So they're the Suzuki goon. Oedo ties of uh, um, when Suzuki Goon was evil. Like I feel like Suzuki without, kind without of on all the fun and whimsy right of now. today's Suzuki. <laughs> right, right. Um, most of Oedo, they're they're the bad people, right? So like Tokyo cyber squad, 
is that they, they were everybody's different, everybody's special. We're very, very positive. Everything's great. And, and Konami was part of the Tokyo Cyber Squad. Well, she ended up uh, hitting her tag team partner over the head with a chair during a match that basically said whichever team lost had to completely disband. So she she broke up Tokyo Cyber Squad, joined Oedo Tai at the same time, and now they're out to do the same thing to stars. So at the end of this match, we would see Natsuko Tora would challenge Mayu Iwatani to another elimination match where the loser has to end up joining the other faction, and that will be going down at the end of May, May 29th, I believe it was, for the, that next matchup. And I would love to see somebody like a Mayu Iwatani Somebody like a starlight kid be forced to join Oedo Tai. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't know. I, or we could see somebody from Oedo Tai unwillingly have to become a good person. And that's really where the conflict inside of these elimination, the last person has to join the other team, really lies. Yeah. So uh, Iwatani was in this match, right? Correct. Cause I, cause her, I have seen before um, yeah. in ring of honor. I've seen a couple of these women here and there. Um, so yeah. Uh, so here's the thing about the, see, like, I know that the simplicity of the booking, it's more fun to have the clown join the evil team, but if this was shit were real, wouldn't you as a way to tie, try hardest to not have the clown be the last person eliminated. You would think you'd want the best person to join your team. Right. Um, so that would have been a, I, I, if they tried to tell that story during the match, I didn't see it, but I also <laughs> didn't know what I was looking for at the time. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess we'll just have to, uh, we'll have to follow up with that and see, see what they do. It, it, it'll be fun. I, I, I would love to see Mayo Iwatani be forced to become one of the bad girls. I think that would be a fun story. I would also like to see, you know, one of the, the lieutenants or even Natsuko Tora herself be forced to join stars. Like, you know, suddenly you have the big, bad, evil heel and she has to join the good girl team. Like, yeah, that, that, that that'll be a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. Let's go into uh, your more feature matches of the evening. Uh, your top three matches, really, the features, titles on the line. Number one, you have the wonder of stardom champion, Tam Nakano. She has climbed the mountain. She has finally taken everything away from Julia, including her hair. And now we have Natsupoi, the high-speed champion, coming for her former friend, Tam Nakano, the, the woman who had completely forgotten about her and thought that she would be rid of Natsupoi because Natsupoi would never get into stardom and now Natsupoi is challenging Tam Nakano for the wonder of stardom championship that was the story going in I very much enjoyed this match I thought this was probably the best match on this show yeah it is and and uh these you know again in my notes here I have uh that Tam and uh Natsupoi look like something they look like yep. something I said you know earlier about Unagi like tell me more, you know, like she's a something. No, these women are something. They look like something. They work like something. Um, I see a lot of, uh, you know, and, and like that carries through in the match. And when you're, when you're good at what you do, you know, somebody like me that doesn't have the backstory or whatever, I still can see like, well, I may not know everything that's going on, but something's going on and I need to know it. 
Um, and so that, yeah, both, both very attractive, the vast majority of these women are very, uh, pretty women, uh, which is, you better be, you know what I mean? Like, I understand that you're in those, some of those Oedo tie, but that helps them stand out too. That's mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I like this match as well. Now, what, what, uh, belt equivalency would you say that this one, which one was this? The wonder of stardom? Is that what it's The called? wonder of stardom championship would very much be like their intercontinental championship. It's, it's basically their number two belt, the white belt. And then the red belt is basically their, their world championship. That's the world of stardom championship. Now Superboy currently has the high speed title, which is, uh, basically like their cruiserweight version. Oh, did she wear that? Because I don't remember seeing a belt. Yeah, I think she had it. Whether it's just, I don't like the high speed championship. It's too silver. Like it just kind of blends into everything because it just reflects all the light. You can't really see the belt itself, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll talk about belts later. Let's not, uh, (laughs) let's not shoot the shot too early here. But I, I, I do like the story because Tam Nakano for about a year was trying to avenge her friend Arisa Hoshiki and, and take everything away from Julia. Julia, the leader of Donna Del Mundo. And Julia just kept beating Tam down and beating Tam down until finally Tam climbs the mountain. She finally beats Julia. And now here comes Natsupoi, who is under Julia inside of Donna Del Mundo. And very much the same kind of story where she's trying to avenge her former friend. It just so happens that her former friend is Tam Nakano. And now she wants to take everything away from Tam, just like Tam wanted to take everything away from Julia. I think it's it's very good, just basic pro wrestling storytelling 101. As long as you keep it within the realm of sports. You cannot let your reach exceed your grasp because some things can't be solved by holding someone's shoulders down for three seconds. They just can't. Um, So you can't, you, even though it may be a little quote unquote boring, sometimes you, sometimes you just can't get like too ridiculous and personal to the point where nothing could be solved, you know, inside of a ring. Like if you really hate each other that much, you wouldn't wait for the, you wouldn't wait for the match. You would, you'd be attacking each other at each other's houses, you know, on the train, you know, you're not going to wait while they're shopping. Someone just shows up, you know, like you're not going to do that. Uh, You're not just going to calmly wait for your title match. So, um, you know, it's cool to, it's cool to have like personal storylines, but you still got to keep it within the, within the realm of believability. I feel, uh, if you want to keep the fans interest, I, the, the nicest thing about this match to me was after the match, Tam gets on the mic and she asked Nancy point. So do you still hate me? Like, did, did, did we solve all of our problems now? Or are we cool after this? And Nat Supoy says, no, I really hate you now. And I, I, just, I, I thought that was just great. Like, you know, Tam is just, okay, finally, we can just move on from this. And Nat Supoy is like, the fuck we can. I am going right. to take that belt from you. Sometime, I am going to take that belt. I thought it was great. Right. Yeah, and and that's how it should be because it's not you know like I said it doesn't even even those issues don't get solved by a three count sometimes so right. it it's uh yeah so I, I, that's another thing I wanted the clarifications on any of the post matches and stuff like that I I knew you'd figure out what what was what the business was about um so I just wait to ask you and see you know what they said so um they got the got the answer on that 
Let's move on to what should have been your main event of the evening. Instead, it was your co-main event. Utami Hayashita defending the World of Stardom Championship against former Red Belt Champion Bia Priestley. Uh, and this might be the best match I've ever seen Bia Priestley have. And I like Bia Priestley a lot. Um, Utami, I think, is also absolutely fantastic. And this match did not disappoint me in any way, shape, or form until I found out what was going on at the end. Um, that Bia Priestley is leaving the world of stardom. It sounds like she is either going to be headed for NXT UK prop or possibly NXT proper. She has done work with AEW before, but this was her last match in Japan, and it really caught everybody by surprise, especially the New Japan audience that had become invested as well in the relationship between Bea Priestley and Will Ospreay. Perhaps this explains the Oss cutter a couple of weeks ago. It helps fill in a couple of gaps. Uh, number one, what did you think of the match? And then we can kind of talk about what happened after the match. Well... I'm not as high on B Priestley. Uh, she's just another one of those women that hasn't been doing it that long and needs to do it a little bit more. Um, and I can point to some, like I can do like a, I, I can give my little, um, what, do, what do you want to call it? Uh, my mechanics lesson. And then I can give my psychology lesson. Okay. Um, the mechanics lesson is when you do that, she did that double stomp on Umami when mm -hmm. she was bent over outside and B jumps off the top from the outside, from the inside out and, and stomps on her. That's not how you do that. <laughs> that could have been horrible. There was a few moves inside of this match that could have went very, very sideways, very, very quickly. Yeah. But those, the other ones I felt were like, these are the same stuff I always see people do. I haven't seen anybody stomp on somebody like this. It could have been ugly. Uh, I, I'm, gl I'm glad it wasn't, but you, you don't do that. Like when you see a guy like, let's, well, let's take a Finn Balor for a Prince Devitt, for example, when he jumps off the top with the coup de gras and it looks like he's killing you, but he's shifting his center of gravity as he's landing. So he puts his feet on you without landing his entire body straight down like a dagger in one spot, which would break all your ribs and everything like that. There's a way to do that kind of stuff. And B just jumped full force onto this girl's back when she was bent over. So she couldn't see it coming. She just had to sit there and toughen up and take it. But it's, it's, it was, it was very unsafe. So I hope everybody's all right. Um, and then, you know, if now, now for the psychology lesson, like, if you want to do the, the the tearful goodbye and the cry and hug with everybody afterwards, uh, maybe don't try to choke and cripple your opponent during the course of the match. Yeah. Because now I don't think that you really care about them. either that or you're just saying this is all fake again. Um, so, yeah, leave it to the, you know, leave it to the gaijin to not, uh, you know, do something that makes sense in the context of, uh, this this sport presentation right so um overall the match was i mean i don't know they're all one of the drawbacks i i think of um, japanese wrestling in general is that because there's such a baseline fundamental quality to all the matches like they're all basically pretty good which kind of means that none of them are really that good they're all just like exactly what you expect right. which again 
is like sports. Like right. if you watch baseball, you've seen a home run, you've seen a strikeout, you've seen a double play, you've seen everything you're going to see. You're just going to see it again today. So like in that sense, like if you're cool with that, that's why Japanese wrestling is right for sports fans. Um, and you know, soap opera wrestling is right for American fans who like those kind of soap operas. But um, so like in, in general, a lot of these matches, even despite their, their makeup, whether it's a triple threat, singles match, elimination tag, regular tag, eh, they all kind of bleed together. So I'm just kind of casually sitting there with it on and taking it in. Uh, I'm not going to give it like the, uh, the, uh, you know, the super, um, overall critiques, but I will notice those little things that don't really uh, appear in the other matches, uh, like that stomp, which is outrageous. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I have to say about that match. What, uh, now, what did you think did, of Utami? Uh, she's, I mean, she, she carried herself like a somebody again, but not to me, just not as a, not as captivating as, you know, like the Unagis or the Natsu boys, um, to me personally, like we all have to pick our favorites, right? We can't all like the same people. So I, I so I don't know. I'd have to see more and it, it takes time. Like a lot of people, I want to form an opinion after watching work day in and day out. I didn't start thinking Okada was the greatest wrestler in the world because I saw an exciting match at the Tokyo dome. Right. I started, I started, I started noticing it when I'm watching him goof off in tag matches and do other things that just let me go. This, this man gets it on a level that a lot of people don't. So like, I need to see more to give a true opinion of uh, these ladies um, abilities. Um, But I didn't see anything offensive here that uh, nothing I had needed to make a note about. What I wanted to ask is as far as B and, and will like they're not there's nothing wrong with them right they're still a couple they're not breaking up or anything right right so that's my understanding but i i have some real questions about that honestly especially especially if uh if b's moving on to somewhere right now we're all we're all assuming that she's moving on to somewhere um but you know people again because it's japan you know, we don't know when they're working or not. And when Jay White was doing that storyline, I heard Mark's assuming like, oh, Jay's going to the W. I'm like, I really don't think he is just because of this. Um, and he'd be a fool to do it. And then we say what happened. He didn't do it. But uh, and I don't know if this is that. <laughs> B Priestley is no Jay White. Let's get that no uh, perfectly straight. But I'm just looking at the logistics of Will's got places in the uk and japan i assume he lives with b if she goes to move to florida that's out of the question she could go to the uk and make more sense and they she could probably do more there uh you know as far as like the ceiling being raised uh, on what she can do um i don't really see her going to america i wouldn't go to america they're not going to make her a star so i wouldn't do that I'd rather, but, but in, in the UK, that can be a different thing. They yeah. could use a B Priestley there. Yeah. Very so, much agreed. so, or maybe she's just doing a storyline for stardom and we don't, we don't know. Well, well, you know more about that than I do. So that's why I wanted, that's another thing I wanted to get your clarification slash opinion slash conjecture on. The thing that really, really got me about the post match and 
even the way that this was presented, most of the time when somebody is leaving stardom, we know ahead of time. We, we kind of know going into that final match who's going over because somebody is leaving and they make a big deal about it inside of the world of stardom. Like they, they, they incorporate it into the storyline. Um, they did not do that here. The thing that really threw me off, if this was going to be B's last match inside of stardom, they have clearly been building to B Priestley versus Momo for the better part of a year. Bea Priestley was, she is a former Red Belt champion. She was a former member of Queen's Quest. She turned on Momo when she joined Oedo Tai. And ever since then, she's been telling everybody, you suck, you suck, you suck, and Momo sucks the most. Well, mm-hmm. at the end of this match, B says, you know, Utami, you're very, very strong. Uh, you're you're a great wonder of stardom, cha- or world of stardom champion. Um and, and Momo, I want you to come into the ring. And she basically says, you know, I've been telling everybody that Momo sucks, but it, the truth is Momo is probably my best friend. And they have that real connected kind of moment. Oedo Tai, not even out there. Like they, they, they weren't even part of this entire equation. I would have thought that B's last match in stardom would have been the blow off match with Momo, not just... Yeah, I've been telling everybody that you suck for the last year, but I really don't mean it. I love you. Like, it just doesn't, it, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it didn't. But maybe that's just something that they do to throw people off now. Who knows? Yeah, and, like and I, I hope so, because I'm with you. I, I don't want to see B come stateside. Uh, even if she goes to NXT UK, I'm afraid they're just going to put her with Jamie Hayter and, and throw her in a women's tag team. And we all know what we think of the women's tag team division. If not, go listen to the next level. Yeah, yes, because that, right. that was fun stuff. Let's talk about women's tag teams. Let's do it. <laughs> you see that? That's a segue, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a goddamn Perfect. professional. Uh, your main event of the evening, DDM explodes as Donna Del Mundo comes to a head. The leader, Julia, along with the SWA champion, Siri, taking on the goddess of stardom tag team champions, Jaimika and Micah, all members of Donna Del Mundo because DDM must pose. This is Hulk Hogan all over again. No matter what Julia is doing, she has to be in the main event. Oh my God, Julia hasn't had a belt in three weeks. We have to take the titles off of the best tag team that we have in Micah and Jaimika and give a title to Julia. So I guess she's going to team up with Siri. I hated this. I absolutely hated this because there's number one, there's no heat whatsoever. And it's just... Julia is the stardom version of Roman Reigns, for better or worse. She is pushed all the way down your throat. And she she was basically the, the, the wonder champion. She was the intercontinental champion. Has a great feud with Tam Nakano. Ends with a match where she ends up getting her goddamn head shaved. Completely reinvents herself. Comes out at Corrick and Hall the next night and says, listen... I just wrestled death and I beat death and death is the worst person on this roster. And I'm going to go through everybody until I climb my way all the way back up to the top. Instead, it took about three weeks for them to give her another championship. I, I really like Julia. I don't love, love, love Julia, which is her catchphrase, but uh, they should, they push her so goddamn hard and I can see why, but she, it's just too much. Well, you, you, you want to talk about somebody that doesn't look like the other people on the show. 
you know, and with the Roman Reigns comparison, it's funny because her gear is somewhat militaristic. She kind of looks like uh, Leona from King of Fighters or something, um, except Leona has a luscious head of hair. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this was where I kind of checked out. Um, you know, I've been watching a little bit of women's Japanese wrestling and a little goes a long way sometimes. So I kind of was like in and out of this, um, just kind of like had it on and was checking in. And when the match was over, I saw how much time was left. I'm like, what's going to go on here? Uh, so what, you know, what was all that about? Like afterwards, um, the posing, it, as you mentioned, I suppose. Yeah, it was basically, I, I just sent you a picture of Julia before she uh, got her head shaved. Um, and the, the, the militaristic gear, everything all brand new. Um, that is something that came with the head shaving. Um, she very much looked like she belonged in Donna Del Mundo before that. And now as the leader of DDM, she doesn't look like she fits the group. Um, it's weird because this is one of those things where everybody inside of Donna Del Mundo wants to be a champion. Everybody wants to be the best. And that's really what this match was all built around. There was no heat whatsoever. So after the match, Siri gets on there and she basically says, Micah, Jaimeika, you guys are great. We absolutely love you. We will defend these titles against you anytime that you want because we're all the women of the world and we're all the best that stardom has to offer. And let's all celebrate together as a team. That's basically what happened here. And it, it's just, I, I don't like it when they do this and they do it entirely too often. Like you, Tommy, most of her title defenses have been against people from Queens quest. And when, whenever you have two people inside of the same faction fighting for a title, it just, it seems very, very disconnected to me. And this match was no different. Yeah. Well, I can see how it, you know, it, it should be intriguing because uh, this happens at times. Like there's only so many championships and they're not going to discriminate just because you're in the same faction. Everybody should, to your point, uh, want to be a champion and be the best. Why would you even be doing this if you don't? And maybe somebody just decides, well, I'll just be a clown and then I that'll be cool. Um, you know, although that wasn't her first choice, apparently going by your backstory. But, uh, you know, so like, so like that, that part doesn't bother me. It's just, um, I, I don't know. I, I can see how the way you're explaining it and, you know, having Julia be the person that's over pushed, uh, just having to be in the main event like this couldn't have gone on second to last or, you know what I mean? But right. um, but it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to end the show on B Priestley's weirdness. Um, don't know. But you normally would see a, uh, the 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 uh, premier championship end a show, especially a big show. So. so I guess what they did is at the end of all of DDM must pose, Siri gets on the mic and calls out Utami and says, Hey, I'm going to be the next person to challenge for the red belt. And Utami says, the hell you are. We, we have a tournament coming up here in about a week. It's called the Cinderella tournament. It's very much the stardom version of the new Japan cup, single elimination tournament. And the woman that wins it, you win yourself a pretty dress and the right to challenge for whatever championship you want inside of stardom. You want a shot at my belt? Go win the tournament. In fact, you know what? No, scratch that from your thought. You're not going to win the tournament. I'm going to win the tournament, and I will name you as my challenger. 
I love that promo out of Utami. All right. And once again, more clarification, because I did not get any of that. <laughs> um, but but I'm glad I know what's going on now. Uh, yeah, cool. So so we'll we'll look forward to this uh, Cinderella tournament. As long as you win a pretty dress, I guess that's really the most important thing. Do you get a glass slipper as well? Or is that just... <laughs> It's it's I mean, funny when you when you look at the world of stardom, even before Bushi Road bought them, they have the Cinderella tournament, which is the basically the New Japan Cup. They have their own version of a G1 where they do a big round robin and the winner gets a shot at the title. They do World Tag League every year. Like the calendar all just lines up very, very well with New Japan. So people well, I, one of the complaints I hear, well, there's no women's wrestling in New Japan. Well, they have stardom for that. Yeah, again, like we were saying earlier, like they have women's sports differentiated as yep. they should be. You know, it's it, it's nothing wrong with that. I feel if you're into that, and I'm sure a lot of the people in Japan are um, for various reasons. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. Uh, and with with Bushiroad owning New Japan and Stardom now then there can be a little bit more of a, a a crossover here and there um if not in the worlds of the competition which you don't really there's there's really no room for that but just in terms of like other promotional opportunities with other companies and things like that it's like oh you can send yep. this new japan person with this stardom person and they can do a public appearance and sell a soft drink or something. I don't know, whatever. Well, in um, it, the last two years, we have had dark stardom matches at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, two years ago, there was one tag match. This year, there were two tag matches. They were both still dark matches. We didn't get to see them on New Japan World, but we're getting ever closer to seeing a, a bit more crossover between the two. Yeah, and that's cool. Oh, oh another, another way it's cool is like, you know, with video games and stuff, because then you yeah, can have that. like, you, you have like, oh, this character's in this game and this character's in that game. And that's what Bushiro does mostly. They make yep. those like video trading card games and crap like that. So you can just have, you can, uh, you can even have, uh, I'm sure there's going to be some, some way where some virtual uh, stardom and New Japan wrestlers can fight each other in intergender matches. Well, and what I really wanted to see when Will Ospreay started the Empire. I didn't want to see the Empire. I wanted to see Will Ospreay start a male version of Oedo tie. You know, it's to where you have one faction that branches both companies. There's just there's the, the women's part of the faction and the men's part of the faction. I thought that would be a lot of fun too. Well, if you heard his promo, he said uh, at the press conference, the Soccer Genesis press conference, he said exactly that that he wanted to do something with Stardom. Uh, which is especially funny because he just hit his girlfriend with a wrestling move. So. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, take a little bit of a break and we'll come back and we will talk some Sakura Genesis. The following announcements have been paid for by the sponsors of the Hameen Media Group. Hameen Media Group brand management is taking over. Social media, video, audio, design, marketing, and more. HMG Brand Management is proud to be partnered with Vince Russo's The Brand, Stevie Ray TV, Rip Rogers FR Podcast, Goldilocks, Big Vito Brand, The A-Show starring Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, and now Angelina Love in Velvet Sky, The Beautiful People. Search for all of our HMG Brand Management partners on your favorite podcatchers, YouTube, and of course, Patreon. 
Support your favorite HMG ring veterans by visiting ProWrestlingTees.com, Dr. Man Beast Ted McNaylor, Freak God Papadon, SCG Search from Big Sal, Chris Silvio, Stevie Richards, and of course the Ayatollah himself, Ben Hameen. Hey bro, wake up with the official Vince Russo coffee from Broaster's Coffee. Medium roasted, Nicaraguan blend with chocolatey notes and a smooth finish that'll have you ready to go, bro. Available only at thebroasters.com. For a flavorful hashtag RBV fitness foodie experience, visit zorosoliveoil.com. Zordos Ultra Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil is exclusively sourced from the Zordos family private 100-year-old olive groves in Greece. Taste the difference and visit zordosoliveoil.com today. StevieRichardsFitness.com For the most affordable and effective home workout program that'll give you results, real results. 12 and 16 week resistant band programs are available for instant download now at StevieRichardsFitness.com Russo'sBrand.com Where the pros are pros, bro. Get the most valid takes in wrestling from the pros who live it. Visit Russo'sBrand.com Subscribe to Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on Podbeam.com and visit Patreon.com backslash Hameen Media Group. We now take you to your featured HMG presentation. All right, back from the break from our friends over at Hameen Media, HackerHameen.Podbean.com, maybe. HameenMediaGroup.Podbean.com for sure. That one we know is good. Also had a, a PSA announcement in there from our friend, Mr. John Enright. Of course, uh, he works with Freedom House down there in Texas. April is Domestic Abuse Awareness Month. So if you know anybody that is having those issues, please feel free. Go ahead and get a hold of our friend, John Enright. Uh, vet, we are here to talk Sakura Genesis, Ryo Goku Sumo Hall, 4,484, the announced attendance inside of Ryo Goku. Um, what are you at kind of with this whole pandemic crowd atmosphere in New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point? Anything's better than the fake-ass Thunderdome and empty arenas and piped-in crowd noise. My God, yes. I would rather hear people applaud a heel turn than that god-awful NXT crowd. You know, they say that a crowd can make or break a show. That really stood against night two of Stand and Deliver for me. That crowd was freaking obnoxious. They are. So is the commentary. So is everything. The whole the whole idea of you having two nights is obnoxious. Who do you think you are? But I just in in general, they're that's some of the better ones because there are real people in there. I can't, you know, just watching Raw and SmackDown's unbearable, impacts horrible. Everything's just bad right now. Um, and Japan is the only country that has legit people. Um, and they they're so excited to get to see some live wrestling that they can't control themselves and they will outburst, even though they're not supposed to make any uh, actual noise besides clapping. But you, you'll hear the oohs and the ahs and the laughs and stuff like that, because they're just they're just having so much fun. And um, that that really comes through in the presentation. It's just, you know, uh, I, I'm a fan of it. I'll take it. So we, we got to talk about Genesis and I guess that the place to start, I was very unhappy with this show. Um, it, it's been a very long time since I have given a new Japan pro wrestling show, a thumbs down. I did not like this show at all. And you had got a hold of me. Don't, don't jump off the ledge. Don't jump off the ledge. Well, I I've talked myself back a little bit since this show happened over the course of like the last week or so. Uh, but I, 
kind of felt like I was watching Monday Night Raw as I watched this show because it seems like especially the first hour and a half or so of this show, it was gimmick match hell. Like everything, there's some kind of stupid fucking angle going on and I don't like it. I just, I want to see people go out there and fight like dangerous techers versus God. Hell yeah. Sign me up. I want to see that match again. I don't need to see it in a ladder match with the goddamn iron fingers suspended above the ring. I don't need Sugabayashi getting involved. I don't need Kenta Sato taking a beating inside of it. Like, just let him go out there and perform. I like I'm fine with the creative direction. I can I can see the matches that they're lining up. I just hate the way that they're doing it all of a sudden. Yeah, that part is kind of lame, but yeah, we get all these gimmicks and we didn't even get a KOPW match. What the hell? Well, we got the build for one because we're going to get Dick fucking Togo versus Toru Yano for the KOPW. Like, really? Oh, oh. Really? Oh, do, we, do we have our do we have our stipulations we can vote on on Twitter yet? I don't recall. Um, seeing. But but shoot, I don't remember now. We got so we got to We got to take it back. To oh, it's we the were... dark. It's the darkness thing. It's, it's going to be a fucking hooded match. That's what it's going to be. Oh, okay, yeah. So, um, so let's let's take it back even further. We have to first talk about the title unification because we hadn't had a chance to talk about that since before they were thinking about doing it. For when they did it, and then when they presented a shiny new belt uh, to commemorate it, so ugly new belt is what they introduced. Well, one step at a time. So, (laughs) so you you. You want you took exception to the idea of um, what Kota Ibushi wanted to do. I say wanted in quotes, like we we don't know what's going on here. Kind of like Okada but, wanted the KOPW, right? Yeah, sure, sure he did. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to carry around a little trophy of a guy with a ring. This is exactly the guy that was too good for the Intercontinental Championship wanted this. Right, right. So, so um, but anyways, so. Yeah, I remember hearing you talk on the on Destino about how you weren't a fan of the idea, you weren't a fan of the legacy being, you know, tarnished or whatever and things like that. So, I took it a little bit differently, and this is how okay. I was able to uh, uh to approach it is most of the time, especially in a company that's as serious and sports centric as as a Japanese company like uh like New Japan. The um the belt is like the whole angle. Right. It's like, you want this belt. I want this belt. Let's fight for the belt. The winner gets a belt. Um, and that's, that's fine. Um, because that's what, again, going back to sports, there's a, there's one Lombardi trophy. There's one, and everybody wants it. There's one, you know, so, so like we get it. Um, but what's interesting about this is that now the belt is the angle because, it's or the angle is the bell, whichever way you want to look at it. Like they're talking about people's philosophies now. So not only do you want to have the belt so you can have it and be the champion. Now you're like, you're looking at different things. And so guys like Tanahashi are saying something guys like um, guys like uh, Ibushi are saying something. There's guys that don't seem to care in the middle. Okay. Like, do whatever you want with it. Okada's like, whatever. You know, Naito's like, I want the Intercontinental Championship to just be which separate. Which is what, weird to begin with. Is, it's 
it's funny, but the, listening to him explain it was entertaining. And so like now every, every title match becomes like a battle of philosophies as well as like, who's going to possess uh, the championship. Right. So I like the idea because before anything was official, you didn't know if like some was like, well, I'm going to win it and I'm going to stop all this. Uh, you know, so it made it made it interesting around the championship more so than just having a championship, having a belt. So I did like the idea of that and the creativity that can come along with that. And that's not necessarily over because you got a guy like Jay White, who you would think would be like the anarchist, like, I don't care, whatever, as long as I'm on top and getting the most money or whatever. And he's the one saying, no, I want to preserve my legacy. You know, that throws a different wrinkle into it because you wouldn't hear a heel talk about doing something that's seemingly altruistic or noble. Right. But even if it's for his selfish reasons, that adds a layer to his character. So the promos that he was doing with Tanahashi and stuff like that were really interesting. So I really liked the approach of it. Um, then we get the belt <laughs> and uh, well, it's not a bad belt. It is, and I think I know exactly what the people's problem with it is, and it's that on the front, there's too much leather exposed. You need a front plate that covers the whole thing. Like, if you tr look at symmetrically, historically, championship belts that we all like, um, they've got a certain look to them. And one of them is a big, prominent centerpiece whether that's the big gold belt or the wing of the eagle belt, which doesn't every eagle have wings. That's stupid, but it, it, whatever, we're going with it. Um, you know, we know those belts and they're iconic for those reasons. And this one, it's like, it's supposed to be, it kind of looks like a, like a, like a transformer, like an Autobot or Decepticon logo, but, or, or, um, or like the Shadowloo logo from street fighter. But, but like it's, it tapers, it, it tapers too quickly. Right. It, it should be wider at the bottom and then come down and cover more of that leather. But instead you got these two big leather triangles and it just is not aesthetically pleasing. And I think that is what would give somebody the gut reaction of like, uh, I don't like it. The belt looks ex fucking expensive and it should. And that's good. That's what you want in a championship. And the, the overall design, the layout, you know, the, it looks like it, the printing, it looks nice and expensive and prestigious, but because of the shape of it, it's automatically a turnoff. So you kind of got to fight against it. And the other thing that they did with the new belt, and I, I can look at the new belt and I can read the explanation and I can understand it. They incorporated aspects from all of the IWGP versions one through four, as well as the Intercontinental Championship. And they basically combined the five belts to make this monstrosity that is the IWGP World's Heavyweight Championship. And I can look at the explanation. I can look at the belt and be like, oh, yeah, there's the part from the version one and the side plates are from the Intercontinental. And I, I, I can see it all. I just don't find it aesthetically pleasing in any way, shape, or form. My first thought when I saw it was they just removed the pink from the Divas Championship and put IWGP on it. So I'm just going to call it the IWGP World Divas Championship. Kota Ibushi, the first holder, that checks out. The it second sure holder, Will Ospreay, that checks out both super divas. So yeah, we have the IWGP Divas Championship, and, and that's what I'm going to call it. 
All right. And I will let you. So the uh, the thing is, though, it's like we have this belt, but what if someone else hold, gets a hold of it and says, I don't want this belt. I want the two belts. So that's always on the table if that's the direction that they want to go. This this whole belt here, this could just be a fucking gimmick itself. And we don't know, but we'll you see. might be on to something. Because, you know, everything is about selling merchandise in the pro wrestling business, right? I, everything that you do. It, right. Um, you, you know what they did when they created the IWGP World's Heavyweight Championship? What's that? They convinced my wife that it was okay for me to buy a replica of the IWGP Intercontinental Championship because it's my favorite belt of all time, and I want it for the new studio. So I, I have an IWGP Intercontinental Championship that is going to be coming to me, and had they not introduced this horrible belt and gotten rid of the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, there's no fucking way she would have let me bought it. So you know what? Thank you, Kota Ibushi. Thank you for doing me a solid. I will now have my own Intercontinental Championship. Uh, I, I also very much, I, I forget the guy's username now, uh, but somebody on Twitter won the internet the day that it was debuted when he said, I can't wait for Tetsuya Naito to win that belt and destroy it like he did the Intercontinental Championship. I would absolutely be down for that. Just to bring back the Intercontinental Championship, the very bane of Naito's existence, it's such a beautiful story. I love the symmetry to it. Yeah, you you know, you there's those people that uh, that stay in those bad relationships forever. It's like, why don't you just leave? <laughs> right. And here how he dare is you leave? You have to come back. Yeah, and then and then here he is dragging that belt down the aisle again, and it's getting dirty. And hopefully, your replica won't be as dirty as that old Intercontinental Championship. But that is that is the thing. Like you know, as far as the whole the whole preserving the legacy. It's like, well, nobody's going back and saying nobody won these belts. So that's not a real thing. It's kind of weird that people are up in arms about that, but like, including yourself, which I heard you don't, don't I, think I, I no, I, I yeah, I'm still up in arms about but that. The legacy, fact, but the, the legacy didn't go anywhere. It's still there. It's just now that here's, here's a belt. They, they, they ran that stupid video package where they like intermixed the intercontinental champions and the IWGP champion. So now like everybody that was an intercontinental champion, is a former IWGP champion and like the whole champions parade is all fucked up now. I don't like any of it. I think it's all fucking horse shit. No, now it's now it's just a parade of two people. And then we'll get, it's like when they show that it'll just be Kota Bushi and Will Ospreay. Save, <laughs> save it, save a few seconds. There you go. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm down for it. And this is clearly what Anoki had in time in my this, this, entire this, time. This is exactly what he wanted. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, um, we'll, we'll just see where they go with it. But I, like I said, I like the idea of um, the belt itself being the angle. You know what I mean? Like just, just doing something with the philosophy behind championships and being, being at the top and preserving. Cause you know, like as far as, as far as um streamlining it there's too many belts like we've talked yes, about absolutely just too damn many belts it's, it's weird to have a new japan strong belt when you already have a united states belt just let that be the new japan strong belt or whatever especially when you only got like 10 guys on the freaking roster yeah so just i mean just come on you know we, we don't we don't need all these belts but i i don't know we we could have done a little something different with it i guess i don't know but it's just 
like you said, it's all about selling merch. So well, let's, and let's now do more of that. Now with the Intercontinental Championship being gone, the Never Championship is being elevated to the number two title inside of the company, which is why Hiroshi Tanahashi is walking around with it, is to elevate that belt. The only problem is Hiroshi Tanahashi hates that fucking belt. He refuses to wear that belt around the waist of the universe. He just carries it over his shoulder. I've never seen Tanahashi just carry a belt over his shoulder. He always would wear it, and he had the cutout for it and his coat and everything. And now Jay White is fighting for the Never title, and I feel like the Never title is below both of these guys. I realize they have to try to pull it up, but it's like you're trying to reinvent something that already sucks. Like, I would have rather gotten rid of the Never belt and kept the Intercontinental belt. Yeah, I guess, but the, the the open weight aspect of it is just something that's underused by them. It yeah, could be true. a much more intriguing belt than it has been, and especially with the dearth of junior heavyweights that can believably compete for things, that gives them some like fresh matchups to go with, and they don't use it at all. This is something I've been saying for a while. Like we have the never six man championships, and like every card has multi-man tags so in my opinion that should be like the tv title that those shit should be defended right. on every single appearance and then you can have like a long reign of of champions or you could switch it every time if you wanted to it's up to you but like at least give those things a reason to exist because having a bunch of six-man tags when you have a championship for that and not putting the championship on the line, even when the guys are there in the match, right. like how are you going to be in a match and not have those belts on the line? If you're all three there on the same team, stop it. So, so I mean that they're not being as creative as they could uh, with these things. It's not just about the intercom, but like even with the, with the never thing, like that's a storyline in itself. Tanahashi's like, I will wear this belt when the time is right. And Jay White's like, I'm going to win this belt because it's the belt I don't have. And I'll be the first person to do that. So it's like they make they can make some things interesting sometimes and then they drop the ball other places. So it's a it's a small complaint given the level of overall quality that we enjoy. But um, nonetheless, like you got to look for some way to improve. Right. Always be trying to get better. But I don't think better is suspending the iron fingers above the ring in a match in which the IWGP heavyweight tag team championships are going to be on the line. But that's exactly what's happening when it comes to the dangerous techers and G.O.D. I, I, it just seems very, very off to me. You know why? You know why? Because there ain't any other tag teams worth a damn in New Japan right now. No, because once Sugabayashi got his hands on those iron fingers, he's possessed and he's out of his mind now. Yeah. So of course he's going to make a match about it. Like he wouldn't have made this match if he had been in his right mind, but now that he has the fingers, he's possessed. And this is why we're getting this. And he knows he's possessed, which is why the stipulation is that whoever wins it has to seal these fingers away forever. So that this can never happen again. Although I guess he could do that, but he's just too, he's, he's too under the influence of the iron finger. So he can't do that on his own. He needs someone to take it from him. To me, the highlight of this match was the return of Tamatonga's beard. That was seriously the highlight of this match. That in the Tai Chi Greco-Roman throat hold, which is one of my favorite things in all of professional wrestling right now. Those two things made this match worth watching. Otherwise, it's just a 10-minute 
six man match. Like in, it was just gimmick cluster fuck hell. But at least we got the beard back and we got the Greco Roman throat hold. Well, I would consider that a win for us. But let's move on. And, and we got the Doki Choki. Who yeah. doesn't love a Doki Choki? Me. Well, I, I well, I'm not just I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna put over the English speaking announcers any of their bullshit. So I'm not gonna put over the Doki Choki. I'm not gonna put over the Greco Roman throat hold. I'm not gonna put over any of this shit. If it's not if it's not Chris Charlton saying something about history or historic precedents or something like that, I'm not listening to those marks. Fair enough. Let's let's move on to your 10-man clusterfuck tag team match. Bullet Club, the team of Ishimori, Yujiro Takahashi, Kenta, Dick Togo, and Evil taking on the Chaos team of Toru Yano, Yoshihashi, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, oh yeah, and the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. This match goes 11 minutes and 37 seconds, and if you guessed that it ended with Toru Yano's finishing move, that's right, the punch to the dick and a roll-up, you absolutely win. I gotta tell you, Vet, this match, I saw who was in this match, and as soon as this match started... I went and I had a cigarette break and I thought about the ways of the world. I, I thought about why there are children starving in Africa. I thought about why people are coming to the United States if the United States is such a racist country. I just I I, I cared about a million other things other than seeing Evil and Okada in a wrestling ring again. How many times have we seen these two guys specifically square off, even if it all was to build to Bullet Club wanting to challenge for those never six-man championships that you were talking about? Oh, yeah, and Kenta stealing Yoshihashi's stick, because that's a thing. Uh, Kenta's the best promo in the business. There Let's is that. that. There is um, well that. Well, I don't know. Jay White calling Tanahashi fat is really freaking great. That is good too. But but Kent has already been calling cameraman fat for months, so that's <laughs> not. He's just ripping off. Uh, well, I guess it's a bullet club thing. Um, yeah. So I yeah, I, you took a break. I almost fell asleep while you were just reading the names there. <laughs> now, now. Uh, so the thing about Yano is is that. I know he's supposed to be a shitty wrestler, but if you're if your one move is the roll up, can you at least fold the guy over and make it look like he could believably be held down for like, you know, I, I guess the dick is supposed to do it. Dick punch is supposed to do it. But like, just can just cover the guy. That's all I'm saying. Just cover like I'll I'll forgive all of your cartoon wrestling. If you just on that cinch that schoolboy up a little bit. And and look like there's some weight distribution there. That's all. That's all. Is that too much? That's not too much to ask, is it? No. Um, okay. Um, so yeah. So like you said, like we we got our we got our highlights from from this, um, which was uh Bo Chan and um well that's it. <laughs> so and oh Tama Tonga's beard, right? That was, that was the other highlight. The return is not quite up to its older, you know, its full grown levels yet, but we're, we're getting there. We're working on we're it. We're getting there. And we're going to get Yano there. versus Togo in a KOPW feud. Can't wait. Yeah, can't I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a wait and see approach on that one. But I don't like, dude, here's the thing. I watch these, I watch American wrestling. So none of this phases me at all. I'm not going to be phased by it. I don't even look at it as like, as like 
because because the worst things that New Japan does is still better than the top angles that they have in the WWE, for example. So I can't get too mad at any of it. I'm just casually relaxing and just just enjoying it, like like having the ball game on while you're barbecuing. Like, are you really watching every pitch or something? It's just that kind of a atmosphere for me. I mean, the, the way I feel about it, right? Like our friend Big Ray Hernandez is a big fan of the New York Knicks, right? Mm-hmm. And the New York Knicks stink. They're they, they're just they're not very good, right? But you can always turn around and watch the Minnesota Timberwolves, and suddenly you don't feel like the New York Knicks stink quite as much. Like I was on the ledge, I was ready to jump off, and then I watched like five hours of NXT. I watched two hours of AEW, and suddenly I was like, you know what? Maybe New Japan's not so bad. The problem is when you live inside of one bubble. And the quality goes down from what you're used to. You're like, oh, my God, this sucks. But then you watch something else and you're like, eh, it's not that bad. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so the thing is when you have to just you have to keep that perspective at all times. Right. That's that's all it is. You just have to remember, like, well, this could be so much worse and it's never going to get to those levels. You can always chalk up. um, You can always just chalk it up to, you know, companies trying things like new japan's just trying something some of it may not work some of it might they might they might catch lightning in a bottle you know it it doesn't hurt to try things as long as you give up on it at the right times if you see that it's not working out the way you plan it so that that's perfectly fine i mean can it like i wasn't i've only been watching new japan for four years or so like full like but but in that four years i've watched every show they broadcast right. every single one even though even the like taka and tai chi ones and those things are fucking horrible but but like th- but um so so like i get the whole thing but i know that there was dark times before people talk about the dark times that tanahashi saved saved the company from and and the stuff from like the mixed martial arts invasion which i think led to the dark times and you know that that kind of stuff and i don't you know i wasn't watching through all them but i i can kind of get it so it's not as if this has been like a perfect run for the past you know 39 right or 50 years 49 years or whatever it's been like they they've tried things and it didn't work and they could they'll they'll go back to what they know and then they'll try new things again. Yeah, like nothing against Tenzon, but there was a time when Tenzon was on top, right? Yeah. And, and I mean that's nothing against Tenzon, but when you think of Tenzon, he has slowed down considerably, but not that much. It's not like he was that much yeah. faster when he was a spry young guy. You know what I mean? It's right, exactly. He's more or less the same. But the thing about it is that at least in the eyes of their fans like the the people of japan like that gives him a level of prestige so that now and 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 even for us because we know what's up right but like when we look at tenzon now we are able to enjoy him i don't think a casual person is going to look at tenzon and get it but when we look at when we look at a guy like that it's like you should you should be able to appreciate every moment you get to spend with the guys like him that are on their way down i just love the entire idea of it's like you're going to start out, you're just going to get beat, you're never going to win anything, you're going to go away, you're going to come back, you're going to be whatever you are, and then on the way out, you're going to go out the same way you came in, getting beat, and but the what people will love you so much. 
the people will love you so much for that. Like they'll always have that respect for you, yep. you know? So I, I, I love it. And it's a great segue because now that brings us to the United Empire and their newest member. We see Jeff Cobb come out. We see the great Ocon come out. And then there's X. The secret weapon. Who is going to be the secret weapon for the United Empire? It's fucking Hanare. Fucking Hanare. Like, and I like Hanare. And I wanted to see Hanare get a bit of a push. But the secret weapon for the United Empire is a guy who hasn't won a match in like two years? Hanare is a young lion plus. I believe we, we should call him. So I watch a lot of these shows with my brother and he called the Hinare turn because of the way that the, the backstage comments were leaning. Mm -hmm. And I guess they figured he figured that the perfect time to turn would be if it had something to do with Will Ospreay, um, you know, being the winning the new Japan cup. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing ended up coming of that. So it was then then it was a case of like, oh, well, that that boat has sailed. So now we're just I guess, you know, now that they're hyping up this X person and I'm thinking, you know, looking back to the last time when it's a Takagi and it's like, well, you're going to have to bring in somebody from outside to make this worth a damn because we wouldn't want to see somebody that's like you said, Young Lion Plus. And then not only that, but like <sighs> there's. <sighs> The, why would the United Empire want that guy? Right. You know, like if this, they're the ones that have been beating him, so why why would they be like, yeah, this loser? Let's let's recruit him because we're the strongest. We're going to take over, and we want the you know. So who's next? Um, I guess if uh, maybe if maybe if uh, Suji can get fifty five thousand likes, he can join United Empire. Oh shit! Oh fucking Suji! Fucking Suji! That guy. My God, there's very few things I enjoy in New Japan more than watching Suji get beat up because Suji is Tanahashi's personal cheerleader. And I just don't and like that shit. You don't like that. Shit. I just you don't like that. that very shit. clear. I like it. Um, so the one thing I will say about this match was I love the finish of this match. And it seems like we're, we're going to go to Hanare versus Sonata. That's going to be Hanare's big first test as a, as a new single star. Sonata does his little flip up over the top, then goes for a springboard dropkick. Hanare ducks it. Jeff Cobb catches Sonata, hits him with a tour of the islands. Then Hanare hit, picks him up and hits him with a Fisherman Valley driver, and, and the match is over, right? But just that entire sequence of Sonata, when he came off the top rope, Jeff Cobb catches him and hits him with that tour of the islands. That was one of the most impressive things I've seen in pro wrestling in 2021. That was just an incredible spot. Yeah, people love it. Uh, that's one of those instances where you hear the crowd go, oh, even though they're not supposed to. Like right. whenever Jeff Cobb catches somebody and does something, they pop. Uh, and I get it. Um, Jeff Cobb may be worse promos than New Japan. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's right. I like Jeff Cobb in the Empire because he can just stand there, look like a monster, and either Ocon or Osprey can cut promos for him. Like I, I think yeah. Jeff Cobb's a great fit. Well, the problem is, I think he thinks he can cut promos. When he sounds, he sounds like Jack Black without any of the humor or the wit or the timing or any of the other things. It just sounds like if Jack Black was confused, that's a that's a Jeff Cobb promo. Yeah. Um. Now, um, 
the other thing I like about that finish, besides all that stuff that you said, is the fact that it was almost like still taking away from Hinare somewhat. Like you right, only like hit Jeff your Cobb's finisher. The one that beat him. Yeah, yeah. You only hit your finisher because Jeff Cobb just hit his finisher. Right. You're still a bum, you know. Which is that's good because it's good heat. You know what I mean? Like you weren't gonna put Hinari over these guys just because he put on a pair of gloves and adjusted them <laughs> into the entrance pose, right? Like you're not gonna beat Lij because of that. Hey, Evil won the IWGP Championship because he licked his lips a couple of times. So you know anything is fair game at this point. Yes, <laughs> but Hinari is no evil. <laughs> so well, um, you know, <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm, I like evil. I just don't, I'm not a, I'm not necessarily as big of a fan of this version of evil or, or whatever. It, and it's, it's, uh, but, but he had that kind of thing where it, it was like, uh, this guy's right on the precipice of being a top guy. And like, he's too, he's too good to be in the middle, but he's not quite there. There's only so much room at the top and he can't crowd his way in there. That that's, that's the trouble that, um, that evil was kind of running into. So and I think evil's another case of, hey, let's try something. Yep. You know, we got a fucking terrible pandemic and we don't have crowds and we let's do something to keep people talking about us or or something, something to get what evil one. I got to watch this kind of a thing like that. That's what I I suppose it was. I don't know that for a fact, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk some more about evil when we get to the main event, even though evil was nowhere near the main event. Ooh, that's right. a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the other thing that we got to talk about is the Great Ocon. Uh, the Great Ocon has basically had programs with all of the big stars inside of New Japan as they are establishing him as this monster. And I'm guessing that the next feud is going to be the Great Ocon versus Tetsuya Naito as he takes the chair and just lights up Naito's knees. Um, so I, I assume that we're going forward with Tetsuya Naito versus the Great Ocon and... I guess that's fine. That's yeah, that's been announced on the Dontaku tour. So go. we're going to get it. Um, what do you think of the push of Okan? Like, is he worthy of the push that they're well, giving him? That's the question. Well, well, we say push, but he didn't beat anybody. That's he only true. beat, he only beat, he only beat, um, he beat Naito in the new Japan cup, right? Correct. Yep. First but, round. but he had, but he had the out, like we knew why. Yeah. So it's like a good win for Ocon, but we already knew that not only in real life, but somewhat in storyline too, like, you know, he had bad knees. So yeah. it it gives it gives him heat. It's almost like you don't even deserve to be where you're at. And then where did what do he do after that? So it's like Ocon hasn't won any matches, and that's fine. If and, and it's it would be fine if they jobbed the United Empire the entire time because it's like it'd be no different than it, <laughs> Boy, I, we sure do make a lot, of, or I make a lot of comparison to sports, and I think it's because it's apt. Because if you're an expansion team, why the hell would you just start beating everybody, right? So, yeah. so it, there's there's nothing wrong with like having growing pains as a faction, and even if you have like a one person inside that faction that you want to be like the focus point of the star, and everybody else is just bums, that's like more heat for them. Because as a heel, you you can't do any wrong. If you lose a match, you can make up an excuse. You know, you just don't even talk about it. You know, so it's like Ocon is very bombastic in his presentation. 
I don't really like the gimmick at all. I never did. When I saw him doing it in Rev Pro, I was like, okay, well, this will just be his excursion gimmick. There's no way he's going to do this anymore. He's like, what is he, some kind of a genie? Get the hell out of here. He's a zombie. Nope. Nope. He sure did do that exact gimmick when he came back. Um, And so, like, to me, it, it works for him. The only thing I've given him some, well, I've, I've, I've mentioned or observed in the past that he's, he tends to shuffle around in place a lot. Like when he's like doing a promo backstage, he would like be uncomfortable just standing. He, you would think he'd be like statuesque. Like he'd just stand there, you know, like, like Imperium, like deliver his speech forcefully and move on. But he's always like, He's always like moving back and forth, shifting his weight from foot to foot. That just comes from like nerds. being nervous or not to not to, or I don't know what to, you know, like that. I don't know what to do with my hands thing. You yeah. know, it's like you're just you you just don't know what to do. You you don't feel comfortable standing there. He's got to get over that for that character, I think. But that's a nitpick. Um, I, I I've I've enjoyed more of his stuff than I thought I would. And he's 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 moving along. Um, but he but as for the the push what push you know that's that's true the push the push is the camera time that's true. but it's not it sure ain't wins yep absolutely so that's the first hour and a half or so of uh sakura genesis full of gimmicks and bullshit then they go to intermission and we come back and we have a tag team match because hiroshi tanahashi wouldn't accept a matchup with switchblade jay white for the never open weight championship so of course switchblade's got a plan it's hiroshi tanahashi and satoshi kojima taking on the team of switchblade jay white and bad luck fale match goes 10 minutes and five seconds with a high fly flow a couple of highlights from this match hiroshi tanahashi still fat Switchblade Jay White still blaming Hiroshi Tanahashi for his attack on Tamaki Honma, which I absolutely love. And then the match starts. And the match starts, and there's more hair pulling than a stardom press conference. It's just like Switchblade and Tanahashi walking around dragging each other by the fucking hair. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Oh, well, you know, you know, that's a that's a classic Tanahashi. You don't touch spot. Tanahashi's hair. Yeah, but he lo- he loves that spot. I've seen oh, him yeah. do that many times, and and uh, that that's one of his favorites. And another one is the when they catch each other's foot and it's like, no, you put no, you put it down. You no, put, I, yeah, you, you put, put it down. Yeah, yeah, you Tanahashi loves it. So. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so at, towards the end of this match, Tanahashi gets switchblade to tap out. Yeah, we got the JTO. It's not just the Tanahashi tap out anymore. We've got the JTO, the J tap out. And Hiroshi Tanahashi accepts Switchblade's challenge and he does it very slowly and clearly in English so that Switchblade Jay White will understand him. And Jay turns to the camera and smirks. This was all part of Switchblade's plan. He knew if he tapped out to Tanahashi, if he gave him that false sense of security, that Tanahashi would accept his challenge for the never open weight championship. The smirk on his face said it all. The storytelling between these two guys is just absolutely masterful. I love it. Well, Tanahashi's kind of a heel, isn't he? I mean, he just. Uh, He's El Kakaroshi. He 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 only want he only wants to fight the guy that he can he knows he can beat him yeah that's mm-hmm. not cool it's not very heroic chicken but, shit Tanahashi yeah but I, I like that I like that side of Tanahashi Tanahashi's always got a little bit of heel in him and the genius that he is he knows when to pull it out 
Um, and the the camera, I don't think New Japan gets enough um, praise for their um, their technical side, uh, especially their production on the video. Like the camera, like every once in a while they'll miss a spot or something. But but some of the things that they do, like their some of their dissolves and transition, like when you I like like one of my favorites is like when you see the guy come into the ring and then you can also see the guy standing yeah, in the ring. Fades. That's that's so sick. Uh, then and and things like this, like just being here to catch this one, this one, you know, Jay's still selling. He's hurt. And then that smile on his face then goes back to selling. Then one more smile later, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, just 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 really really good stuff uh excited to see these guys anytime any 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 permutation of these guys whether they have anything to do with each other or not i'm always into whatever tanahashi's doing whatever jay white's doing um they're two of the best uh two of the best there are um jay white's you know tanahashi's one of the best of all time and jay white's not seeming like he wants to wait too long to be added to that list so um jay white is really freaking good um, when Jay won the championship from Tanahashi to sell out Madison Square Garden all by himself against Kazuchika Okada, only to drop the title to Okada, everybody thought that it was way too soon. It, it was not time for Switchblade to win that championship. And now looking back, it doesn't seem like it was out of place whatsoever. Um, Switchblade, I think he's one of the top two, three wrestlers in the freaking world right now. And that's insane considering he's only in his mid twenties. He's too good. I, I don't get it. Why is he that good? I don't, I don't understand. I saw him. I didn't think nothing of him. All of a sudden he's good. I, I was weird. Uh, I, when he debuted as switchblade, everybody was like, really? Jay white. <laughs> really? Myself included. Myself included. Oh, same here, man. And now he, Jay White is so good that he cannot become my professional, my favorite professional wrestler. Like every time I think he's getting almost there, he does something so heelish that even I want to see him get punched in the face. He's yeah. he's so good. So he's he's yeah, he's just so good. And and you're only seeing half of it. If you're not watching the backstage comments, at least go at least subscribe to the New Japan YouTube channel and just watch his promos. If you don't want to watch everybody's, just watch his. Uh Cause, or if you don't even want to watch New Japan wrestling, just watch Jay White's promos. I don't care, whatever it is. There, nothing is gonna top him being held up by the Young Lions after he's, you know, after that match he had with Tanahashi, like, like forcing them to carry him because his legs are too damaged, uh, and then just still doing a promo the entire time while them holding him. Um, yeah, it's too good. I was just, I was just uh, speculating. Um, was like the common the, another person that I was like, why is he that good? He's too young and no one, I don't know who, who would have been teaching him stuff this, that that's that good is Okada. And the common thread between those two is managed by Gato. And yeah. I don't even see Gato do the things that these guys are doing. So the, the question is like, does Gato have some of that influence? Cause I don't, I look at those two guys like almost on that same in that same window. And I see Gato has been with both of those guys. Now, technically Gato's with everybody. He could, right. he could advise anybody to do anything he wants. He's part of the company. So he's the booker. So, you know, like I get it. Um, 
but like these guys, either he's telling them trade secrets that nobody else, like he's not telling anybody else and he's not even using himself, even in his little goofy tag matches or, um, or these guys just have, they were just born with something separate and just happened to end up in the same company at a young age. And I know Okada credits a lot of it to Vince Russo, which seems incredibly out of place, but it goes back to his TNA days. And I guess the story is the the thing that Russo really taught Okada was how to work cameras for American television. And, and that's one thing that Okada is so much better at than most of the guys inside of New Japan. And Jay is very good at it too. Like when, when he was at Ring of Honor, he must have really taken an observance to the technical side of professional wrestling. Because to me, that is the thing that really puts those two guys so much ahead of everybody else. It's just they know where to position themselves inside of the ring so the camera can get that perfect shot. And when they come up or go down, the camera is going to be right there to get their immediate reaction to it. Well, there's there there's there is that aspect of it, but that's not even what I'm talking about. There's there's subtle mechanical things that unless you're a worker, you wouldn't even see, but they do it and other guys don't. And that's nothing Vince Russo would be teaching anybody like how to feed up from uh, from taking a bump into a certain way that they do things. And just the entire approach that Okada takes to his matches, like like, do you realize that? Okada could have the way he works his matches. You don't have to take any bumps. He knows that you could work with somebody that's young. You can work with somebody that's old. Okada could have a match with Hulk Hogan right now. I'm not talking about like give Hulk Hogan time to prepare. I'm I'm talking. I'm I'm not talking about give give Hogan time to prepare or get in shape. I'm talking about if five seconds from now when you hear this podcast and Hulk Hogan had to get in the ring, no boots on. Okada could have the kind of match he wants to with Hogan because Hogan doesn't have to bump. Okada takes all the bumps. You know what I mean? So it's like he he's figured out subtle things like that. Those are the things I don't know whether they came from him or someone else or a combination or whatever, but that's part of the mystique and it's what's so fascinating. So like every time I watch these guys get in the ring, I'm like dissecting it like, oh, what's he going to do there? Like I'm looking at other aspects of things. So that's what I find really entertaining. And everything that Jay does is basically a counter. Like no matter, no matter what the move is being performed to him, he finds a way to counter it into his offense. To me, that's what makes Jay so good. He's like the best counter wrestler I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that again, that's, a, that's like a, that's a, that's like a presentation thing, but the mechanics too, just, just, just these little things of, about the way he does, he's not going to do anything that's particularly, I don't want to say dangerous because he does do that. Uh, he does do that suplex some the sleeper suplex thing sometimes, yeah. but but I mean, that's even they must have figured out a way to work that because if, you know, everybody, it, it looks like everybody in Japan uh, drops each other on their neck all the time. And if that was the case, then we wouldn't have any shows. Isn't so there's the got to be a way to work it. But isn't that the move that Shinsuke Nakamura almost killed John Cena with? Was no. it a sleeper suplex? It was some kind of a flip over the top suplex that he just Cena does. damn near came down on his head. He just does a traditional what looks like it's going to be like a, a backdrop. No, he just. Oh, no. Yeah, no. He, he kind of just does like a it, it looks like it's going to be like a backdrop 
driver and then he just like flips them over. And John Cena was too unathletic to flip all the way over there. So that's really what happened. Yeah, Cena, which yeah, so, and and he said that he said it was his fault. But I mean, uh, but that was when he was going on his uh, "I'm John Cena ingratiating myself with the world" tour and every right. you know putting everybody else over. But anyways, enough about John Cena. Um, the the point is, Jay White's great, and it doesn't really matter why or how. It just it's just up to us to enjoy it because he's got quite a career ahead of him. Let's talk about your junior tag team championships. El Desperado and Yoshinibu Kanemaru defending for the first time their IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships against Rapungi 3K, returning 20 minutes, 48 seconds. Rapungi 3K, big surprise, become your junior tag team champions for the fifth time. Uh, vet, th- there's a lot to look at when it comes to this match. I was not surprised to see Suzuki Goon drop these titles, especially with Despy now having the junior heavyweight singles title. Um, but Rapungi 3K, I mean, five time tag team champions. I'm not sure either one of these guys is over the age of 25, and they're five time IWGP junior tag team champions. Is it time? Like I, I see Yo is in all black now, even down to his hair. Is Yo getting ready to turn on show? Is that what's going on here? No, because he's too boring to turn on him. <laughs> and he could have turned on him before. It, I I think I think that sometimes just a straightforward approach is best. You can do something like people don't do it because I don't know why. Maybe they think that that we're too simple minded as wrestling fans that we only understand things. It's like, if it's like a betrayal or whatever, but there's really no reason that in the history of time, you couldn't have two guys that were a team, two guys that struck out on their own. And every once in a while came back together to be a team and wanted to be that like the Rapongi three K could be that because unfortunately they are not like they're lacking in the charisma department. So like, it's not going to like, you're not going to buy like hatred fueled uh, blood feuds and stuff between these two guys. They're just young, decent, decent wrestlers that are, um, you know, uh, athletic and handsome presentable, you know, like they've got a certain look Um, show started striking out with a little bit of individuality and it was like they came in, they were like gold and silver and Rocky Romero was doing all this crap like Stupid around it. blaster and, cannon bullshit. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the Rapongi thing was just like a holdover from him. Like he's just pro- just dumping shit onto them and they're just like, eh, whatever. Maybe better than the Tempura boys, but that's another story. So, so like you see them and it's like, oh, he's the gold one and he's the silver one. That's their personalities. And then all of a sudden, show at some point decides... Hey, I'm actually high voltage show and my finish is called the shock arrow. And I've got like chip tune music and I'm like kind of different. And yo's like, I'm still the silver one. <laughs> so it's like, you gotta, it's okay for yo to find a little bit of something different. What I would have rather seen is not necessarily a turn or anything, but it would have been nice to kind of like reinvent the team and drop the Rapongi part, give them a new name. And then give them something that's like, 
We're going to team when it's appropriate. We're going to strike out on our own when it's appropriate. And we'll always be able to come back and win tag team championships or singles championships, or maybe we'll have a, a friendly battle over the junior heavyweight championship when one of us wins it first. And then the other one's like, well, I won this best of super junior. So I guess I have to challenge you now. And you, you never have to have the turn but it, it makes it more like real life or more interesting to not have to be like, Oh, I hate you all of a sudden, even though we were best friends. Like it's just, I never buy that. And it's always telegraphed and like it was telegraphed here. And then they just didn't do it. And I'm like, yeah, good. Don't do it. So, so now cool. we're, we're, we're building the feud for the IWGP junior heavyweight championship. The feud is going to be between show and El Desperado but we're going to start off with Yo versus El Desperado. And I'm pretty sure we saw part of what this feud is going to be going forward. It's going to be El Desperado tearing off Yo's leg and beating him with it and to the point where finally at the end of this match, Sho is going to challenge Desperado because he beat Yo so goddamn bad. That's exactly what I'm expecting to come out of this match. It very well could happen. But in any case, um, I, I'm a fan of Desperado Me too. and he's taken a lot of he's like we talk about we talk about the Jay Whites and stuff and he's not he's not like, like quite on that level. But what I do like about him is as a junior, he's not one of the flippy divey juniors. Yep. He will every occasionally the right amount, I would say. Um, but he gets so much character over in his body language alone. His promos are hilarious, but taking those out of the equation, just like one of the, so one of the things that helped new Japan get over with me is I started by watching a G one, like in its entirety, like every match, every, you know, whatever. And through doing that, I can see what was so great about new Japan is that guys all had characters, but they were still professional wrestlers. Yeah. Not like in the WWE, for example, where it's like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a clown and I'm a plumber and I'm a, I'm a, I drive a garbage truck, but for some reason I'm a wrestler too, or whatever, or I'm a supernatural hillbilly with a group of hillbilly friends. And, you know, I can teleport and stuff like that, but I'm going to be a pro wrestler that none of that makes sense. But even though there's flavors of pro wrestler in new Japan, they're all pro wrestlers first and foremost. Right. So these guys get over by get their character over in the ring. Cause they don't have like promotes vignettes, TV like like that. So they have to get all their character over in what they do. And Desperado is so good with his body language and his attitude and his moves and everything. Everything he does is like you just go like, what a fucking creep, you know, and that's exactly what it's supposed to be. But then you start he starts to become endearing after a while. You know, maybe it's because he really is not a creep. Maybe it's because he's so good at his job that you respect the skill, whatever the case may be. Um, he's, and he's, and he had to step up recently, you know, because of the injuries and things that have happened. And, you know, I'm sure, it, uh, I, I think he's been doing an admirable job and I, I don't care who he's across the, the ring, uh, from, I want to see more. Yep. Absolutely. I can, I completely agree with everything. In fact, cheap plug tomorrow. If I actually still have a voice after nine hours of podcasting today, <clears throat> Um, I will be sitting down with Mighty Joe Morin and Carl Carafel over at Turnbuckle Talk uh, for the, a new show that they're doing that is called Turnbuckle Rewind. And we will be sitting down to talk about one of my favorite matches of all time 
from the best of super juniors final Hiromu Takahashi versus El Desperado. That match was absolutely incredible. And it has really catapulted Despi into the position that he finds himself in now as one of, I was probably the biggest star inside of the junior division with Hiromu out. Yeah. And, and the match was great. Not because not not necessarily because of what happened between the ropes uh, no. as far as like the the match match yep. but the entire presentation of it the emotion of it the seven everything years that they, of story you bet yes all that all that stuff and i didn't see all the seven years but it didn't matter because i felt it yeah. um they, they they caught me up so uh yeah that was that was great in in this in a similar way that the um you know, the Suzuki versus Liger match yep. uh, was great, even though like they've had their better days in the ring, but they did everything they needed to do in that match yep. um, to get the feeling across. So including they're, attempted they're, murder. Yes. And that's, that's always important, especially in talking about Suzuki. Gun. So if you're not attempting to murder somebody, are you even in Suzuki? Gun? Um, so, so yeah. So anything, Anything we can do with um, with Desperado, I'm in favor of it. So let's talk about it. The IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the first defense for the first champion, Kota Ibushi, God. God. It's God. God is dead, as Will Ospreay <laughs> would proclaim on Easter Sunday at the end of this match. I could not believe that he said that, but mad props to Ospreay getting this heat. Um, this match was really good. I was floored. I was absolutely floored because, and, and I know there's a lot of people that didn't view it this way. I felt like this was almost a squash match. Like, I felt like this was all Osprey. This was nothing but Ibushi making goddamn sure that we get Will Osprey over. And I didn't understand it. I did not understand what was going on. And now I have a bit more understanding. I, I have heard through the grapevine that Kota Ibushi is dealing with some injuries, which certainly does not help matters whatsoever. But that I, I got to thinking and all of my conclusions have now been proven true. We went back in time about six months. That's what happened during this match, you know, cause it was about six months ago that evil won the new Japan cup. Evil went on to defect from his faction. He would join bullet club and he would win the IWGP heavyweight championship. And I said at the time, this was supposed to be Osprey, but Osprey could not get into the country. Well, now everything has been set right. Osprey has won the New Japan Cup. He has created his own faction because Evil joined Bullet Club. There's no necessary for that. So now we have the United Empire. And now Will Osprey is the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. I feel like everything has been set right since Osprey could not get into the country. Was that what this was all about? Was this all just to get back to where we originally wanted to be in like August? It very well could be because I have heard and do not know that this stuff is planned out years in advance. And we were talking about, I forgot to bring it up then, but it's better that I bring it up now. Anyways, I forgot to bring it up that the Jay white spot that he was in was allegedly supposed to be Kenny Omega's spot. If he had stayed and resigned. Right. So we have like a plan 
And rather than tear up the plan, we plug and unplug and switch. Yes. And- yes. And that, and that is fine. And that's obviously what happened, um, you know, with the, with the evil situation, even if it wasn't to replace Will Osprey, it was, it was to do something. Um, it was probably not the original plan. Uh, I'm sure evil liked it. Uh, but, but, uh, well, and now uh, look at where evil is. He's right back where he was before all of this started. Yes. But he has, um, but he has shoulder pads with machine guns on and Dick Togo. Yeah. So he choppy choppy. Yeah. So he definitely, uh, he came up in that. Um, uh, although I did prefer the, uh, the robe that you were never sure if he was going to trip over or not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I think you're I think you're on to something there. I think that these um these delays were supposed to happen. I still think it was we already discussed the last time we did a, a pseudo destino. Um, is it too soon for Will Osprey to win the New Japan Cup? And at that time I said, if it's if it's not too soon for Zach Saber Jr. to win a New Japan Cup, it's surely not. But I can only imagine that this was done because Ibushi could not fulfill the commitments in some way. There's no reason why your first defense after all this pomp and circumstance surrounding this storyline with these titles and becoming God and all this other stuff. Like there's no way they'd just be like, ah, let's beat him. No way. Absolutely. No way. This had to be, um, this is the worst IWGP championship reign since Kenny Omega. I mean, because I, I was not impressed at all with Kenny's reign when he finally became champion. All the money in Kenny was in the chase. Once he won the title, it was fucking awful. Ibushi's reign, Ibushi finally climbing the mountain, finally claiming the top title. That was a really, really bad reign. And that's and that's a big finally because they fucked him on per like For on purpose, years. like storyline fucked him and that's why it was supposed to be so good because i don't think had he won it earlier the people like i don't i don't know about you tell me what you think because you're a longer time fan than me but taking the temperature and just just from i don't i don't really read up on the backstage stuff i kind of just watch new japan and take what they broadcast as that's that's all i get so I'm taking the temperature of the fans and like, I'm not sure they're a hundred percent with Ibushi. You know what I mean? Like, I think were. he's got his fans, but he, but he's got there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people like me who are like, he's fine, but there are a lot of other guys. I'd rather be the, the, the guy in the company right now. Right. The, so the problem with Ibushi as far from my perspective, as far as the Japanese fans go, not talking about any of the Western fans or my personal love for Kota Ibushi. Loyalty is such a huge thing inside of the Japanese culture. And it is well documented that Kota Ibushi is a fucking flake. Kota Ibushi has left New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kota Ibushi wants to follow his own thing. He wants to go and be his own free spirit. He wants to go do the Cruiserweight Classic. He wants to go wrestle at DDT. He wants to take two years off and go wrestle with his friend on a beach somewhere in the UK. Like He's very much his own person. And 
I feel like that was the whole thing with Ibushi becoming God, right? Like, I won't, I won't turn my back on you. I won't betray you. I am here for you. And it was all about Ibushi proving that not only to the New Japan fans, but also the New Japan office. And now, so they finally put the title on him and we, we finally culminate this journey that started with him returning to New Japan as Tiger Mask W, like they stuck him under a hood and he was punished for leaving the company and he's climbed all the way back up only to get hurt and lose the fucking titles. Like I feel like Kota Ibushi has been so damaged in this entire process, even if it is an injury that is resulting in them taking the the title off of him, all the promises that he made, he broke them all. Where does that leave Kota Ibushi going go forward? I, 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 I don't understand. Unless you get murder Ibushi all the time. Oh, well, no one can sustain that level of uh, bloodlust for much longer than a few seconds, Jargo. We can't. That's a lot to ask of any man, well, even God. And Osprey was super smart about it in this match. Like he saw the switch flip and you saw murder Ibushi. And Will's like, nope, fuck that. I'm, t- I'm ducking out. I'm going to take a couple of seconds. I'm going to let you calm the fuck down and then I'm going to beat your ass some more. But no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not tangling with murder, Ibu. Like I thought it was very, very well done inside of this match. Yeah. That's a good way to get out of having to, you know, explain why he didn't just kill him right there. So, mm-hmm. um, and, oh, and by the way, just on that, on that note, um, cause you mentioned it, it reminded me, but the best, uh, dark murder Ibushi I've ever seen was when he was Tiger Mask W in that match with Okada. That yep, that was the original and best version of that still to this day. So go look that up on New Japan World Archives. But uh, so um, yeah, like it's just a uh, it's just unfortunate. That's what this what happens in wrestling sometimes though. You you plan for everything and these are detailed, long laid plans, and sometimes it just doesn't go your way. So. And Gotta they did it to audible. themselves, damn it. Okada's hurt. Naito's hurt. Ibushi's hurt. Like, everybody on the freaking roster is hurting at this point because you're doing three times as many shows as you should be doing to make up for only having a third of your attendance and generating a third of the revenue. So you do three times as many shows. That's what's going on here. They're killing the town. They're killing their talent. And they're killing their fans. Wow. I guess when you put it like that... um, but they better keep doing shows because I need something to watch. Uh, that's all I. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, they had. It, it always seemed like they had a grueling tour schedule, so it's it's not like it's not like it seems like that new. Um, but it just it it can all come to a head at one time, and it can just be really unfortunate. Yeah. So um, that's the other thing too. Like as a wrestler, if you don't continue there's like a balance you have to find but if you don't wrestle enough you're going to get hurt because you're out of shape so like you you have to be in ring shape at at times um but that's where it, it it's incumbent upon you to work smart in your matches and not take any uh dangerous bumps you always want to have a good match and steal the show but sometimes you just got to be smart the people are coming to see uh the people they're not coming to see every move ever. They're they're buying a ticket saying, I get to see. You think those women that come to see Tanahashi with the towels and stuff, you think they gave a shit about the match? Nope. Do you? No. Nope. 
they were hoping to get a little Tanahashi sweat on their towel that they'll never wash again. And that's fine. Cause, and he knows how to, and he knows how to do that. And even so he's still always banged up supposedly. So um, yeah. Anyways. So they did what they had to with Will. Um, I've never been a huge Will Ospreay fan, but I have to call it like I see it. I'm nothing if not fair. Uh, Will Ospreay has changed from the Will Ospreay that was on that, you know, that viral ricochet match from from years ago. It was nothing but nonsensical flips, no selling and superhero poses to now. Like he knows how to he's a much better worker His even the like the last couple promos he's done has been a lot more coherent. Um, so like he's he's doing what he needs to do. He's doing his part. And if this has something to do with him getting back to, you know, like like losing if, if Okada can take this title off of him, that's just another layer to the story. Like, fuck, I thought I was doing something there and I got stopped again. You know, which is a lot. That's the story that like, well, I started to talk about with Ibushi. He gets somewhere and then they stop it and then they stop it again and they stop it again. And while that's that's like it's got one layer to the story, like you described with him being a flake from a complete kayfabe storytelling standpoint. You're only getting the fans more excited to see him finally win, like if they're on the fence about it. And then they're like, God damn, how many times can he get this close? He's got to win this time. That's the most over you're going to be able to get him. It's kind of like I also looked at it the, the way they did something similar where I felt like um, Okada was getting like some some John Cena fatigue, you know, mm-hmm. he's just on top for so long. Legendary reigns, legendary number of title defenses. 720 so days. Yep. So what did they end up doing about that? They beat him. And they continue to beat him to the point where it's like, oh, Okada's human. He, I have sympathy for him. I sure would like to see him win one more time, you know, and then he gets it from Jay at the Garden again. But yep. the fans might have been sick of him and rejected if he had been the champion all that time, you know. So there, there are times where, you know, losing can be the best thing that happens to you. And let and, us remember the last time Okada won the championship, when he won the championship in the Garden, it was not necessarily in the cards. It was not necessarily planned. Kenny Omega leaves the company. They put the title on Tanahashi so that Switchblade could take the title from Tanahashi so that we could get the title back on Okada. That, that was clearly the plan, and they didn't want Okada beating Tanahashi again. That's how Switchblade got his first reign. It would not surprise me to see Okada take this title from Will Ospreay and just have Ospreay be that transitional champion because they didn't want to have Okada beat Ibushi. Right. And back and back when they did the Kenny Omega thing, like the match with Tanahashi was a match we had not really seen. So it worked yep. out in that aspect too. Like yep. that's how I kind of predicted that, that, that he would win that G1 and go on. I was like, cause I was trying to get in Gato's head and think what match would I want to make for the Tokyo dome? Uh, right. If that we hadn't seen, that would still be a huge match. And yep. Kenny and Tanahashi was that match. And so like, He's good at he's good at dealing with these curveballs. It may not be always the best, but I mean, we we have to give a lot of uh, slack and take into account all the things that we know and the things that we don't know. We there's things we don't know that's going on all the time. Um, it's a it's it's a a, a corporately owned company, you know. Yep. So 
There's a lot of things that I don't know. That's why I hang out with people that I consider to be smarter than me. And that includes the vet vet. Thank oh, you so wow. much for joining me today on this special double edition of Destino. I mean, man, me and you, we've been on the phone for like the last four and a half hours talking about professional wrestling. This has been absolutely fantastic. Why don't you go ahead and tell people how to keep up with you. If you know how to keep up with you at this point, because things are so screwed up with the, with the audio feeds, uh, tell people what you got going on and, uh, we'll let you get out of here so you can go take a nap. All right. Best four hours of my life. Let me just say, and, uh, or at least my week. Um, but yeah, you can always catch me, um, on all social media platforms at opinion haver, all one word. I will be doing something or other on those things. And um, I used to be on the Next Level Wrestling Review. You can catch my possibly last episode. Um, it should be up on YouTube and uh, maybe some other affiliate feeds. I don't know what Colin's going to do with that episode. Um, we'll leave it to him. And then uh, then you from, from then and from tomorrow on, you can uh, tentatively catch me on the Impact Attack. That's right. The flagship show of Hami Media Group decided they needed a vet to take over. Actually, Big Ray just could only work Wednesdays. So, <laughs> so I'm going to have to watch some Impact and do a show tomorrow as well as we record this, but you'll be able to catch me anywhere. Opinion Haver everywhere. Next Level Wrestling Review, final episode, Impact Attack, future episodes. Um, and man, this is a uh, this is but this is really my favorite show, uh, Jargo. I just wanted to let you know that I don't think I don't know if anybody's listening, but this is actually my favorite show because I get to talk about Japanese wrestling. I appreciate even, it, man. We'll, we'll do this again very, very soon. Uh, but for now, I've been sitting in this chair since about eight o'clock this morning, and I really have to take a So that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and toss us one of those five-star reviews to help us out in the algos. Destino is brought to you by our friends over at the HTM Podcast Network, Hami Media Group, the PW Hustle, IndiePW.com, and the Rational Rage Network. Find the show online at DestinoPod.com, across all social media at DestinoPod. Very special thanks to the vet from over at the Hami Media Group for joining me this week to talk some stardom as well as Sakura Genesis. I will be back in your ear holes soon. For those of you who have not heard, the locker room studios are going to be moving. My, my wife and I have bought a house, so we will be relocating from the locker room studios to the 203 studios. Um, I'm not sure if there will be another episode of Destino in between now and then or not. Kind of depends on when exactly the moving date happens. So it, it may be a little bit of time before you get a new episode of Destino. That's partially why you had the, uh, the big double tap episode this time around. I guarantee you I will be back in time for Wrestle Grand Slam inside of the Tokyo Dome. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to the vet. Thank you to everybody for all of your support throughout everything that has been going on with Destino, everything that's going on with Locker Room Studios and the move now to the 203. I promise I will be back in your ear holes soon with an all-new edition of Destino, a New Japan pro wrestling podcast. Adios.